Welcome. You have reached another episode of the Deacon's Roundtable here at WSFI AM 750, FM 88.5 on your radio. We are, I can't say we're live, we're taped on WSFICatholicRadio.org as well. Uh, this is Deacon Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel, the greatest parish in the Archdiocese of Chicago, joined today with Deacon Dave Egan from uh, St. Thomas the Apostle, if I remember correctly, down in the Knoxville area. Hello, Dave. Hello. And uh, our good buddy Mike Alandi is under the weather today and dealing with some family issues, so we send our prayers out to them and wish, hoping that he gets home well soon so he can come back and we can make fun of him on another episode. And <laughs> just trying to get started, we are, we're using a new platform here today, so we're a little bit out of, out of sync, but uh, we are welcoming the, uh, the, the famous Dr. Stephen Barr, theoretical physicist and president of Society of Catholic Scientists who are joining us today. Welcome, Doc, uh, welcome, Steve. Glad you're here. Well, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here with you, Dave and Greg. So, Dave, would you like to begin us with a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, God, for being with us, helping us, guiding us. Please open up our hearts so we can more receive your instruction and what it means to become more like you in our daily lives. Especially now as we have finished celebrating the birth of your son and all the different parts of the Christmas season. Let that goodwill continue throughout our lives. Help us to be more understanding of what it means, the gifts you have given us in nature, how to interpret them, and how to come more fully into you to be like you. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dave. Spirit. Amen. So it's kind of interesting, Dave. We've been doing this for I don't know how long. How long we've been doing this show? A couple of years now, and uh, as you know, Dave, <laughs> I think it's a lot longer than that one. <laughs> both Dave and I are are, are scientists, and uh, you know we really haven't uh, done that many science shows, even though that is one of our primary vocations and love. So um, it's very cool today that we have we have with us uh, Dr. Stephen Barr, who is, as I said, a, a, a theoretical physicist who uh, probably doesn't like talking to a chemist and a biologist, Dave, but, we're, you know, he's, he's, he's in his mercy, he's, he's, he's talking with us today. Uh, Steve, would you tell us a little bit about your background? Yes, my, my uh, scientific or my uh, religious or, or everything. We have an hour, so, you know, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, religiously, I'm a cradle Catholic. Um, I'm six, I just turned 69, so I've been a Catholic for 69 years. Um, and... Uh, I almost a cradle physicist I, in a way. Um, I, I one of those. Uh, I, maybe it's not nice to say this, but I'm one of those geeky kind of kids that, when everyone else was out playing football in the park, I was curled up with math books and stuff when I was a kid. And uh, so I, I always knew I was going into physics and or, or science anyway, and probably physics. And uh, so uh, that I, I ended up. Um, I went to Columbia University for undergrad and, and got my PhD from Princeton in uh, particle physics, theoretical particle physics. That was 1978. And then, uh, you know, as academics do, bounced around the world, and, uh, postdoc and then junior faculty and so on. So I do research in theoretical particle physics, or I did until I retired from research uh, three years ago. Um, Does an academic person ever really retire? Well, I'm not retired, really, but I retired so that I could 
run the Society of Catholic Scientists. So actually, I'm, I'm not. I'm still working. I'm, I'm still working pretty much full time doing that. Uh, but I, you know, all my life I've thought about, um, you know, issues of science and religion, not just science and religion, but I, but all sorts of other questions surrounding uh, the faith, you know. Um, and uh, over time, you know, so I thought about these things for a long time and uh, sort of accidentally in a way or providentially, I got into writing about science and faith back in the mid 90s. Uh, and then one thing led to another. Uh, I wrote a book and then uh, I went around and started that got me invitations to speak about it in many places. And then eventually um, uh, some friends and, and I, there were six of us, decided to start the Society of Catholic Scientists. And uh, that was in twenty summer of 2016. Well, let's go back a little bit because we covered a lot, yeah. lot, of, lot of ground there. So as a, you know, for, for most of the people that, that are listening here in the uh, southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois, w Indiana, Wisconsin area here, when I say th theoretical physicist, you know, of course, they're thinking Einstein. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what what does that what does that mean if you, if I tell somebody uh, were you into quantum mechanics were you into other aspects of physics what is it, what, what if I say you're a theoretical physicist what does that mean well there are many branches so uh, physics like a lot of branches of science is generally divided into theory people and experimental people uh, so the theorists you know they either sit around doing calculations with uh, pencil and paper or nowadays more with computers. Uh, or, or uh, whereas the experimentalists go out and measure stuff, and uh, you know, and so uh, I'm in a field, a branch of physics that's called particle physics. Um, it's also called high energy physics. Uh, and what we do um, is we study. I mean, particle physics is trying to find out what are the fundamental constituents that every all of matter is made of. What 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 is matter made of? What are the fundamental particles or whatever they may be uh what are the fundamental uh laws that that by which they interact and what are the fundamental laws uh, or equations that govern all of this so we're trying to find you know the ultimate bedrock theory of physics that underlies you know everything that goes on in the physical world that's that's what particle physicists try to do it's called particle physics because until recently it's been assumed that the fundamental things that every ball of matter is made of are particles like electrons and, and quarks and things like that, neutrons, protons. Um, so that's why the field is called particle physics. So how did you become, I mean, so you're a very successful scientist, theoretical physicist, and, and that. how did you become a, a Catholic scientist? When did the Catholic part come into that? Well, I mean, I'm really... I'm a Catholic and I'm a scientist. Um, now, when you're doing science, science is a technical thing. And, and so when you're doing science, the actual technical stuff that you're doing doesn't bring in your Catholicism in any direct way. Just like if you were a, a, a baseball player or a auto mechanic or a, or a general or something, you know, if you're doing stuff, it requires certain skills, a certain set of skills that you're not really, whether you're Catholic or, an, or a Protestant or an atheist, you're doing physics basically in the same way. Yes, but, but uh, if, if I can yeah. interrupt you, I agree with you 100%. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and so I, I, but I've been a Catholic, as I said, for, for from day one, <laughs> almost but literally. I mean, I'm, I'm a Catholic scientist, but I never said, okay, I'm Catholic, I'm a scientist, I'm a deacon. I'm going to go get a bunch of 
other Catholic scientists yeah. together and, and well, form form a group of I, Catholic scientists. I mean, that's 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 a little bit different in that regard. Okay, right? yeah. So uh, the, the, I I have my mind is uh, I, I need to have everything make sense and hold together. You know, I, like I I want to see how things fit together, and so for example, within physics, the kind of physics a lot of my physics research had to do with what's called grand unified theories. And what those are, are theories that try to see how the different forces of nature fit together, like gravity and electromagnetism and the other forces. How do they fit together? And But I also want to see how do my, what I believe is a Catholic, fit together with what I know and believe as a scientist. That was important to me. That, that, that the, so it's sort of part of the same urge to to make sense of things, to make sense of things is to some, to a large extent, seeing how things fit together. And it was important to me, even as a teenager, even as a young teenager, early teenager, uh, that, 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 that science and faith kind of are coherent, you know, with each other. And so I asked myself a lot of questions about that. Uh, I, I should say that it's not just that I wanted science and faith to fit together. I wanted to see how the different doctrines within the Catholic teaching, how the different doctrines of the faith fit together, and how does what the church teach fit, teaches fit together with what the Bible said? How do different things in the Bible fit together? Uh, how does what we church teaches about itself fit together with what we learn from history and so forth? So I want, you know, I've asked myself a lot of questions about what I was taught uh, as a Catholic and, and and tried to make sense of it all. And some of those questions had to do with the relation of science and faith. And so I've been thinking, as I said, I've been thinking about that probably since I was, you know, 10 or 12. Um, in fact, even earlier, because one of my earliest memories of asking such questions was when I was in second grade. And uh, I had a very nice sister, a nun teaching us, Sister Martian, M-A-R-C-I-A-N. She wasn't the Martian. <laughs> though, uh, that I so though I I once said in her presence I made a joke about that, not knowing she was there, and I was very worried she'd be upset. But I, I but Sister Mar I said to Sister Marston in second grade, how did all the different types of animals fit in the ark? Because I knew that there were an awful lot of animal types of animals out there, and I couldn't imagine that you could build a ship big enough that they'd all fit in. <laughs> and uh, and so that was probably my first science faith question. So I've been thinking about this stuff for quite a long time. But but I didn't write about it or give talks about it. I just thought about this stuff on my own. And if I had a question, I'd often go to the library, university library, take out books and research things, think about them on my own. And uh, over, but eventually what happened is I... Uh, well, I could tell you that later if you want, but how I got into writing about it, and uh, if you want me to. Talk well, we, about we, that. we, however, we get there. Um, my, but one of the questions I had, and I don't hope I'm not cutting Dave off, is that um, did any of these subjects ever come up in class? Not really. Um, now, in physics, it doesn't really come up. I don't know about nowadays. Who knows what comes up in class it, nowadays? But uh, well, uh, I don't remember it ever coming up in class. Uh, now, in biology, I'm told that in biology, you know, especially in college or grad school or whatever, where evolution is a big topic, you know, it's natural, I guess, for conversations to come up about that have to do with religion, because many 
Christians have trouble with evolution. But physics, not really. I, I don't remember actually hearing anything of a religious or even philosophical nature discussed in physics class. Well, you know, going back to you know, a couple of years ago, we had the Da Vinci Code, which is which I thought was a fun book to read. It didn't, you know, I didn't think it was theology or anything else. I thought it was a fun book to read. But the one before it was Angels and Demons, which I thought was a much better book. And in that book, there was kind of a link with quantum mechanics into a search for God. And that might be comical to you, but for me, as, as of course, I'm a chemist. I'm an applied chemist, so I'm more of like a plumber than a scientist. But uh, <laughs> um, I thought that was a kind of a cool thing to think about. That uh, you know, as right. you get smaller and smaller, and uh, so that's where where I kind of thought, okay, that I could see a little bit of a link there. Because really, in chemistry, I don't think anyone we really ever think about. You know, God just turned that acid indicator blue. You know, it, was, it, it wasn't something we worry about as much. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't remember anyone in in classes in college or grad school. I only think I took one course in high school in physics, but I don't think anybody brought up philosophical. Now, quantum mechanics really leads immediately to very deep and difficult philosophical questions that a lot of physicists worry about, at least in private. Uh, you don't really have to worry about them in your daily work. I mean, so I'm in a field where quantum mechanics and um, you know is the language of my field. So, I mean, I use it every day. But... Um, but yeah, it raises a lot of very deep questions because it's very strange, as everybody knows. Quantum mechanics says very strange things about the world. And aside from whether you're religious or not, just trying to make sense philosophically of quantum mechanics is very difficult. I, I, I do think it has may have some religious implications, and I've written about that. So, um, for example, I, I wrote a book back in 2003 called The Mo Modern Physics and Ancient Faith. That's sort of the main book I've written. And there's a whole section, several chapters on quantum mechanics. And I'm um, of the belief, and, uh, and there's some famous scientists who have said this, that when you try to understand uh, quantum mechanics and its implications, you, you, um, and you follow the logic through to the end, what you, what you, you end up with a conclusion that not everything can be physical, that there's more to the world than mere matter. And, uh, and so I, that's, I think, a very important thing philosophically because and religiously, because many people who are atheists nowadays, especially if they're science people, mm -hmm. many people who are atheists are atheists because they're materialists, because they think the only reality is matter. That's, that's their really their bedrock belief. The only thing that exists is the material world. And that, and and uh, I think quantum mechanics, and, and that of course makes it difficult to believe in God because God is not a material being. It also makes it impossible to believe in a spiritual soul of human beings. It just says we're a bunch of atoms. That's that's what we are according to materialism. But I think quantum mechanics implies, and there are famous scientists who have said this, that that not everything in the world is just reducible to matter. Uh, in a particular mind is not reducible to matter. And I think that's very important. And how does the famous physicists that are atheists, like, uh, yeah. you know, how do they deal with that aspect in your, in your well, perspective? Well, the thing is, everybody agrees that quantum mechanics has profound philosophical implications, but, but they all disagree on what those are. I, I, uh, I think most uh, physicists, uh, they're, they're all over the map. I mean, there are many different ways of, on uh, many different, quote, interpretations or uh, philosophical positions people take about quantum mechanics that, that widely disagree with each other. 
I think most physicists just find it all very confusing and they stop thinking about it after a point. Uh, but so the view that the quantum mechanics that I that I espouse and and some other and, and not others, but some actually great scientists like von Neumann and, and Wigner and Pyrrhus and people like that have espoused is, as I said, that that uh, quantum mechanics tells you that not everything is is material. Um, in particular, quantum mechanics talks about observers that a lot of people may have heard of that, that in quantum mechanics, you talk about physical systems. Those are the things you measure and calculate are the physical systems. But in addition to the physical systems, there are the observers who make the measurements, which includes us. And the idea is if you try to use the mathematics of quantum mechanics, not just to describe the physical systems that are being measured, but the observers that measure them, like us, you run into trouble. And so there's something about observers that uh, doesn't just come out. It's not, we're not just physical. And now as, uh, most physicists would reject that um, conclusion, but I think they reject it because they're prejudiced against, because a lot of them have materialist prejudices. So I, I think they don't reject it for good reasons. I think they reject it because it disturbs their worldview. Right. Welcome to 2022. We get that everywhere. And I'm observing now that Molly's playing our music here, which means we're coming up on our first break here on the Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 FM, AM 750 on your radio dial. We'll be back shortly with Dr. Stephen Barr. So come. Hi, I'm Ava Burke, a producer here at WSFI and a junior at Carmel Catholic High School. We are hoping to expand WSFI to reach up to 8 million people in the Chicagoland area. To help us reach this goal, please donate to WSFI Catholic Radio. WSFI has been a vital radio station with getting the word out to so many people. Many conversions have happened through WSFI, and it has brought countless people back to the church and into the faith. But we cannot expand without your financial help. Please take a moment now to make a donation and go to WSFICatholicRadio.org or mail your check to P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Thank you for your help in making this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity happen. Taste and see the Lord is good. We're back in the Deacon's Roundtable. Thank you for joining us here at WSFI. We're talking today with Dr. Stephen Barr, theoretical physicist and president the Society of Catholic Scientists. Dave, did you have a question you wanted to ask? Sure. I was just something, uh, Steve, you said earlier, they're just sort of uh, interesting. Not, so I'm approaching this more as a biochemist. And one of the things that I was always in awe with, or actually sort of um, 
enhanced my understanding of religion. It was that looking at the intricacies of a cell and realizing all the different aspects and that it started off with, you know, four bases and DNA to get all the amino acid codes and pulling all of this together. There's no way statistically this could have been just straight evolution. It had to be sort of a directed approach. And I was wondering as people started going into, I guess, quantum mechanics and looking at some of the other things where it was just, it was unbelievable. There was this awe factor there that sort of caused people to ask the philosophical questions. Right. And, you know, um, now I I think with the, uh, I think that in biology excuse me that's a phone ringing in my house in, in biology you know you have this remarkable structure of the cell for example of cells and and uh, and and personally I'm not unhappy with the idea that a lot of the structure we find in the biological world is the result of evolution but that all that is based upon structure in the in physics you know the world is is in in the physical world down to the atomic levels the subatomic level there's an enormous amount of structure also in the laws of physics the laws of physics are very intricate they involve very very subtle and intricate and uh uh complex and but also in a way beautiful and and uh, very um remarkable uh, patterns and, and mathematical structure. And that didn't evolve. That is, nobody in the physics thinks that the, the deep laws of physics with all their intricate mathematical structure, that they're the result of evolution. The laws of physics have been what they have been always the same since the beginning of the universe, as far as we can tell. And so where did that structure come from? I mean, um, uh, the laws of quantum mechanics, the laws of electromagnetism, of, of gravity, and so on very intricate and beautiful mathematics. Where did, where did all that structure come from? Um, and I don't think atheists have a good answer for that. I mean, uh, this is something that's always struck me. Uh, the atheists will point to things in the world and say, we can explain all of that using the laws of physics. And it's true. You can explain an awful lot with the laws of physics. I'm a physicist and I, you know, I, I agree with that. But one thing they never ask themselves is, a, why are there laws of physics? Why are there laws? Why does the yeah. universe have laws? And B, why are those laws so amazingly rich and 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 and, and beautiful mathematically? Why is that? Uh, and I don't think there's an answer to that if uh, if you're an atheist. Now, if you're a, a religious person, then you say, well, there's laws because there's a lawgiver. You know, and there's all that remarkable structure in the laws of physics because they're the product of a mind, you know. Would it be, uh, would it be true yeah. to say that, uh, you know, for, in this line of speaking, people talk about all the randomness and random chance, but as you, as you get down into it, there isn't randomness. There's laws well, there, and things there, that are going there, on, there, right? There is randomness in quantum mechanics that, that's built into the theory, but it's not. But remember, it, it's because the laws in quantum mechanics are probabilistic. So, if you know uh, things happen according to very precise probabilities, just like when you when you roll a die, uh, there you know if you roll it many times, one sixth are going to come. It's going to come. The chance it'll come up a one or a two or whatever. 
is one in six. There, there, there are probabilities there. And the equations of quantum mechanics very precisely specify these probabilities. And so, yes, they're, um, they, they're, they're chance, but they're chance governed by very precise laws. Uh, and so it's not just willy-nilly anything can happen. You know, it's not like, you know, you collide two particles together and in a, in a, in an elephant or a candlestick comes out. No, it, things happen in very precise ways. And yes, it's probabilistic, but those probabilities are given to you by the equations. My head hurts, Dave. <laughs> no, actually, that no, I mean, made sense to me. That really made absolute sense to me. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not like random has many words in, in everyday life. We say random as if random means it doesn't make sense, like a random killing or something, you know, or that there's no reason or cause or anything. We know there's maybe better than word random is there's chance. Things happen yeah. by chance. chance. Everybody's always know that. The Bible talks about chance. The Christian theologians have talked about chance. St. Thomas Aquinas has a whole chapter in one of his books. Book 3, chapter 74 of Summa Contra Gentiles, in which he says that chance and accident are, in, are, are not incompatible with divine providence. He, he explains that even though everything that happens in the world is known and willed by God from all eternity, Nevertheless, it, you can, it, there's a real sense in which you can talk about certain events having happening by chance. It's not saying that there's no cause of them. It's, it, it, so that gets into a whole deep discussion. I don't want to take up the whole show, but, but <laughs> people shouldn't be frightened. Christians shouldn't be frightened by the idea of chance. I mean, hasn't any uh, Christians play poker? And if you say the chance that I'm going to get a, you know, a four of a kind or a full house is such and such, and you give a number... Well, that's perfectly consistent. Uh, I, want, I want chance because I want my free will. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have free will. That's right. So, your I mean, free will, the free will allows you, for example, to go and rig the deck, you know, stack the deck in your favor. But if you're not cheating, you can talk about the odds of certain so, hands yep. coming up. And that's perfectly orthodox. Uh, you know, that doesn't contradict anything in our faith. God knows what hand you're going to be dealt <laughs> But but that doesn't mean there's not actually some sense in which there are probabilities at work, too. And he loves me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is these sort of some of the discussions that would take place in society? What's that? Would the, yes. Would, so these, uh, I mean, in, in the Society of Catholic Scientists? Yes. Tell us about well, that. Well, we had one talk on quantum mechanics uh, in one of our conferences. Uh, we talk about evolution. We talk about the Big Bang. We talk about... Uh, the origin of the human beings, all sorts of things, anything that you uh, can think of that has to do with science and has some touches on religion, we, we have talks on it. Um, you know, what makes human beings uh, unique among animal, extraterrestrial life? What would that mean, uh, if anything? Uh, for the, uh, How do we think about that as Catholics? I mean, you know, we talk about a whole lot of different things. But when you, when you started the society, which has grown... You know, very, very, you know, better than I, but it's grown very well for our listeners, has grown rapidly. And yeah, we have uh, over 1,900 members. We started in 2016 with six. 
We're up to 1900. I think I counted 22 priests or so today. I can't count deacons because not everyone used to. I think we probably even have more than that. We might have 30 or more, maybe. Well, not not everyone puts father or deacon in their title, so it's right. Not everyone does. That's true, but but but, uh, most of them do. I I haven't counted, but I would bet. I'm guessing. My just my sense is it's probably 30 or 40. Yeah. What was you you started this, but what was the initial goal? Of starting this. Well, well there were several a- things. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have the impression, and this is nonsense, that all scientists are atheists. That they're like the scientific world is a, is a religious wasteland. You know, where you know, you know, nobody's religious. It's not true. There's a lot of religious scientists, but one of the problems is a lot of them keep quiet about it uh, for a variety of reasons. And as a result, when you're in the scientific world, especially if you're young. Uh, you sometimes don't know of any sci- other scientists who are religious. And that can be, you can feel very isolated. And then, so when I was in college and grad school, I didn't know any of my professors in the physics department who were religious, except one. Uh, and I didn't know of any famous scientist in the world, any famous physicists alive at that time who was religious. And so you do begin to feel isolated and that's not good. Um, and so as you, uh, later on, you begin to come across and you begin to realize that that's kind of an illusion, that there are a lot of them out there, but they're just not very visible. And so I think one of, the, one of my motivations was so that there'd be fellowship among Catholic scientists, uh, there'd be a big organization with thousands and thousands of members, so that young people going into science, or not just young people, could actually see that they're not alone and uh, have fellowship intellectual fellowship, spiritual fellowship with their fellow Catholics in science. And so a young person who belongs to the society can look up on our, we have a, a, a password protected member directory, only members can look at it. And they can look and say, hey, I can, they can look up their state and say, oh, I can see in my university, there are these other, there are these Catholic physicists and chemists and biologists. And, uh, and I think that's important, but it's not just for fellowship, it's also for discussion. Uh, it's a place where we can discuss, you know, questions of science and faith. And third, and I think this may be the most important, is for, is to witness to the world. We want to show the world uh, by our existence, but also by the things, that, our activities, that uh, you can be a person of faith and, 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 a, and a scientist, and that the two are, are harmonious, that, that science and faith are harmonious. You know, harm and harmony with each other. Um, we're sort of answering the call of Saint John Paul II. Uh, we didn't know he'd said this at the time we founded it, but soon found out, and it's really kind of, in a way, what we're doing. He said, um, uh, "Scientists who are who are Catholics who are who are themselves scientists uh, can perform an important service to their fellow believers in helping them." to integrate the worlds of science and, and, and faith in their intellectual lives. So he said it was very important for Catholic scientists. Catholic scientists can help their fellow believers uh, think about these questions and help them, you know, to, uh, to, to, so that they, that they see the harmony between the two. And that's what we're trying to do. We want, we want to be of service to, to our, well, not just our fellow Catholics, but, we also want to be a, a resource for for the general public, you know, for uh, journalists, for educators, and so on. 
It's an interesting perspective. For, I don't know how, how Dave is, but I, I would say in, in my scientific life, I never really experienced a lot of atheism in science. You know, of course it's there, it's, it's, it's everywhere. But most most of my buddies who were who were who were advanced degree chemists were were Catholic. <laughs> interesting. And, and, interesting. And now I I, I I think you're right. That is, I never um, you don't experience, and I've been asked this many times. Have you ever found any hostility? towards religion. You don't actually run into a lot of hostility, but, but uh, that's not the problem. It's not that people go into science where religious will face hostility. They generally won't, but they will face a feeling of, of being alone because other scientists, now you, your friends talk to, I don't know, when you were studying in college and grad school, did, did you know of faculty members in your chemistry department or um, I, you know, it's not being at a, at a, at a, a state school. It's not something you walk up and, and really. Right. Know. So, that's but, the thing. So but but I could invisible. say I, I could probably list a few that I knew what their what their background was. But, you know, I of course, you know, at that time for me, I, I was Catholic, but I wasn't a deacon. You know, so it wasn't right. I, I wasn't an evangelizing aspect of it like I should have been. I agree, but I was not. But the interesting thing for me is, is when, when I was in my. uh uh in deacon formation, I was going for my candidacy. One of the one of the questions the board asked me is like, you know, how do you deal with the difference between you know the people who, religion and science? They said, I don't. That's it's religion and social sciences that have the issue. I don't think there's a lot of issue. Of course, there is an issue out there. It's just for me personally, I didn't experience right. a lot. But I, that, that's that's right. I didn't see. That's the thing that always uh, I found a little strange because people always ask me, or they often ask me, do you find it difficult to reconcile? So you're you're being a scientist with being a, a a believer, being a Catholic, and to me that's a strange question. Reconcile because all my life I've never seen any kind of conflict right. that needed to be reconciled. But you and I see that, but a lot of people don't see it that way, and a lot of this is something. A lot of young Catholics don't see it that way. I am told by high school teachers that their students in Catholic schools find it very strange to hear about a scientist who's Catholic. Um, they think that's odd. Uh, and they'll say, how do you, how does that, how, how can that be? You're a scientist and you're, this is, this is something that most, a majority of young Catholics we, we need believe to get some baseball there cards is a conflict with... between science and faith. We need to get some baseball so you and I don't feel it. But they do, and that's that's what I think St. John Paul II was saying. There's a lot of people do find a conflict. So those of us who are in science and do not see a conflict, because you know, we see that there is none, right. we have to help the other people see what we see. <laughs> that, that's a great point. And, and I'm fascinated by Father Kartke at, at Mundelein, who's the right. you know, astrophysicist and rector of the seminary and uh, a wonderful speaker. And... Uh, and I, I just love listening to those type of talks. But but you're right. Maybe, maybe it's 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 this thing where I don't have the issue. I don't see the issue, but doesn't mean I can't. You know, I don't see the women's okay. issues either because I'm a yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> in a way, in a way, I can sort of maybe one reason I can sort of see things through the eyes of the atheist is that my father, my mother's cradle Catholic, and but my father was not of the Catholic background, and he was not a believer. Uh, he was a skeptic. And so that made a big impression on me, knowing that here's this very intelligent man who I revere and still revere as one of the wisest people I've ever known, 
uh, one of the smartest, who, who was a skeptic. Now, he did get baptized when he was 78 years old. But when I was a kid, he was not uh, religious, so a believer. So, you know, so that made that may be one reason I thought about it more and realized there are a lot of people of goodwill right. who, who, who can't square these. Now, uh, by the way, I want to just say one thing that happened recently in the last couple of weeks that shows that the Society of Catholic Scientists is beginning to have, I think, some impact, even though we're a very young organization. I got contacted out of the blue by a young Chinese uh, science postdoc. Uh, he's a physics postdoc um, at a major university, and he's from China, and I won't say his name because uh but he said he's uh, one of the editors of a Chinese language magazine, uh, online magazine, or uh, well, actually, it's both online and you know, and a, and a physical magazine for for Chinese immigrants to North America, and they were going to do an issue on science and faith, and then they came across the Society of Catholic Sciences website, and they saw that we had a lot of good material on our website about science and faith. And he said, can we translate some of that material into Chinese and put it on our blogs and so on? I said, yeah, I, get, I said, sure, you can do that. So actually, you know, um, we I, that, and we're, that's one of the things we want to do as SCS is to is to reach out to the, you know, and get uh, help educate people on this topic. And we have a lot of very good educational material on our website. And now some of it's going to be in Chinese, which I think is a very exciting development. <laughs> I think when you talk about physics in Chinese for me as well, but that's okay. We're coming up on our break here again here at the Deacon's Roundtable, WSFI, 88.5 FM, AM 750. And uh, we'll be back shortly. Everyone is welcome. Open is his door. So come. Hello, this is Brian. I'm a volunteer here at WSFI Catholic Radio. I'm reaching out, letting you know why our expansion throughout the Chicagoland area is so vitally important to the new communities that we will be reaching. God has many tools of reaching individuals and bringing them to conversion. I believe Catholic Radio is one of the biggest tools God uses. One never knows who is listening and just who we will be reaching through the airways, whether it be bringing people back to Jesus and their faith or bringing people to meet Jesus for the first time. Catholic Radio is the key to evangelization. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. My name is Father Dominic Pelusi. I'm a member of the Priests of the Sacred Heart. I have been ordained for 41 years. St. Paul tells us how 
shall they call on Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe unless they have heard of him? And how can they hear unless there is someone to preach? We have the opportunity for Catholic Radio to do exactly that, to bring the Word of God into our houses, but more importantly, into our hearts. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Back on the Deacon's Roundtable here at WSFI, we're joined with Dr. Stephen Barr of the Society of Catholic Scientists. And Steve, one of the things that always drives me crazy, I, I love uh, Bishop Barron. He's wonderful. He's from Chicago, all that good stuff. But whenever he talks about sciences, he talks about science as a philosopher. He always like, well, so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never had so-and-so I cared about in, in, in chemistry in my lifetime. Certainly there are, you know, landmark people in, in the sciences, but we don't we don't have a, a guiding philosopher type view of, of, of science. So, right. so maybe yeah, no, that's, that's why a... we need a Catholic a society of Catholic scientists is so that scientists gets here and, and lives up to their baptismal ministry of talking right. about faith and science. Right, you know, because uh, there's different ways of looking at things. I mean so mathematicians don't think like physicists and physicists don't think like chemists and but scientists don't think in the same way as philosophers and theologians. And so it's not, it's not enough to have philosophers and theologians talking about these issues because they, they're coming out the science from outside. That is, uh, they, but many of them actually, well, actually many of them know a lot about science, but there's a unique perspective you get from being in science and actually doing research. And that perspective really has to be brought to bear. That's what St. John Paul II was saying is, another thing is, the people out there in the world who have difficulty believing, who think there is a conflict between science and faith, if they just hear theologians saying there's no conflict, they're not going to be impressed. They'll say, of course the theologian's going to say there's no conflict. Obviously, what else are they going to say? But if they hear a scientist say there's no conflict, that will, that will uh, you know, that'll make more of an impression on them. And not just one scientist, but if a lot of scientists, that's why... Because, you know, uh, that's why you could always find a science, one scientist who could believe anything, you know. But if you have a whole society of many, many scientists saying, saying that science and faith and the Catholic faith are not are, are, you know, in harmony with each other, that will make an impression. By the way, I want to plug our website because uh, most of your listeners aren't going to join the Society of Catholic Scientists. 
but they can benefit from stuff on our website. I gotta um, get Dave to join the Catholic Scientist Group. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one of the things on our website that uh, is something called Common Questions, and this is based on questions that high school teachers told us were the most common questions their students raise in class about science and faith. And so we have 16 questions. So we'll add to those as time goes on. But these are the 16 most common questions. They have to do with, with the book of Genesis, with evolution, with Adam and Eve, with extraterrestrial life, with free will, all sorts of things, miracles. And we have very well thought out, very readable, accessible, meaty answers to these questions on our website. So you go to common questions and we'll have each one has about a 750 word essay answering the question with recommended further reading and so on. This is actually what the Chinese uh, science, young scientists wanted to translate into Chinese. He said, your common questions will be very helpful to our, you know, our readers. And a lot of the Chinese immigrants he's addressing are scientific people. A lot of people who come here from China are coming to study science and engineering and technical fields like that. So um, he said these common questions you have on your website, he thinks are just perfect and would be very helpful to his, his uh, audience. So I, I, but I think it'd be helpful to a lot of listeners to this <laughs> station too. Certainly with like question 11 says, can a scientist be a Catholic believer? I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. But that's one of the 16. And uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, he was quite impressed. By it. And that's not the only thing we have. We have articles. And one thing that I think is unique, you're not going to find it anywhere else, is a, a carefully curated set of short biographies, about 300, 400 word biographies, of about 100 important scientists of the past who were believing and practicing Catholics. And so um, it's an astonishing number. Actually, was, I and another fellow worked on this for quite a while. And I didn't know about half of these people when we started. I, and I have to say, it blew my mind to see how many, these are people, not just people who were scientists, these were people who made such a mark in science historically that everyone in their field of science knows their names. Their names, you know, resound in the world of science. And uh, and and I was astonished how many of the people, these scientists of the past, these great scientists were believing and practicing Catholics. And I think that is uh, something that, that your listeners would find, especially if they're high school teachers. Say, have your have your students, you know, pick one of the scientists out of this list of a hundred and have them do a paper on them, right. you know, a homework assignment. So that's so one question, a couple follow up questions, Steve. Something that yeah. you said, especially with the past, with some of these prominent scientists were actually active in their religions. How much do you think today's skepticism with religion in general is that's what's sort of driving the wedge between science and religion more so than people who are just straight non-believers? Um, it's complicated. I, I, I think there were a number of things that is very complicated, but I think there were a number of factors basically around the late 19th century that started making not just scientists, but the intellectual uh, intellectuals in society, yeah. artists, you know, and, and writers and, and, and philosophers and so on, uh, drift away from religion, or a lot of them drifted away. And 
and and um, and is and it's you can't put your finger on one factor that caused that. But I should point out to people: yes, there are many scientists who are atheists, but I think there's just as much atheism among people in the humanities. I think if you went to a university, you would find just as much atheism in the English department or in the history department, or and you know, as in a physics department. It's not that so much. I don't think it's actually science. It's it's a it's a broader cultural phenomenon and has many causes. Um, I guess yeah, that was a better way to state my question. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I I think but a myth developed. What what happened is a myth developed around the late nineteenth century. A myth that there was what's called a warfare or conflict myth or thesis that uh, and many people believe this. Almost I think the vast majority of the public believes it. Vast majority of educated people believe this that historically science and religion were at war. And they'll think of the Galileo they episode, yeah. for example. They think that's a typical thing. And and they're shocked, I mean, to find out, no, it's not like there were these two warring camps for the last 400 years, which is what people think. People think that for 400 years, science and religion have been fighting. And it's simply not the case. For well, most of don't that, we have to clarify years. that a little bit, though. I mean, I, I would say that science and the Catholic Church have not been, but there has been Christian denominations, certainly that uh, it would be a little bit well, more that's antagonistic. A, that's one of the things that feeds the myth is the is the battles over evolution. Uh, that's right. So it's the Galileo case four hundred years ago, but it's also the ongoing battles over evolution. But that's right, and the Catholic Church has, uh, and 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 the scientists know this. The Catholic Church never condemned evolution. Never, never uh, condemned evolution, and it took a while to you know fully work out. There are deep questions raised by evolution that theologians had to digest, had to think about, but the church never condemned it. Uh, but but I think people have what happened is this myth developed that the science and religion have been at war, and that religious people are hostile to science and have tried to suppress it, and this causes a lot of people. Who go into science? They they grow up with this false narrative about history, and they think, therefore, that to be in science means that you have to turn against religion because that they think that's how it's always been. This myth has done great damage. It's done enormous, and that's one thing we have to overcome. We have to tell people, you know, it's not true. Tell people that the Big Bang theory was developed by a physicist. Who was a Catholic priest? That he was the founder of the Big Bang Theory. Bang theory. Or and everyone knows about Mendel. That the genetics, the science of genetics, was founded by a Catholic priest. Yeah. And do they know that that uh, the geology, the science of geology, really was founded? The first modern, you know, great geologist was a Catholic priest named uh, Nicholas Steno. And so it, it, you could go on and on. One of the founders of modern astro, one of the founders of astrophysics, was a priest in the in the early eighteen hundreds, or the mid eighteen hundreds. And you go on and on, with um, and, and and they're astonished to find out that the church doesn't have anything to be embarrassed about here. Yeah, there was this one painful episode of Galileo, but the fact is. There's been a, a, an army of great scientists. But I also like to point out that Galileo was not proven correct until the Apollo mission. So there's some, well, there's actually, some stuff here, though, wasn't well, it? No, actually, it, the science, it is true that at the time of Galileo, the scientific community was quite divided because it was, uh, 
it was still not settled it, at, in his time. It really was settled at the, by the time New, by, by Isaac Newton. I mean, when Newton came along about 50 years after Galileo's condemnation, uh, then the scientific world realized that Galileo was correct. And then experiment that was based on Isaac Newton's theories of gravity and so right. And then in the and then a little bit later in the mid 1700s, actual direct ex observational evidence that the Earth moves, and so on became available. And not long after that, the Church actually quietly, you know, sort of backpedaled on on what it had said. And so the Church has recognized that Galileo was right uh, since the mid 1700s. So, so no, I mean, everyone's known that since, you know, since right. the 1700s, but certainly. It, you know, but it's it, it data before he gets A good scientist gets some, get, you know, has his data proven before he goes to work, but... Uh, yeah, I bet it's, you know. but what you're saying is true, and I, bet, I mean, it's certainly the case that Galileo, in his time, it was not obvious, and many scientists... Uh, thought that he was wrong. It wasn't just the religious people on one side and the scientists on the other. First of all, most of the scientists, almost all of them were religious. There were scientists on both sides of that issue until about 50 years after Galileo died, or well, decades after he died. And that, by the, only then did it really become clear to everyone uh, about, you know, about who was right in that <laughs> dispute. So, Steve, what um Another follow-up question or something you said, and it just whether this is one of your observations. I tended to actually did something similar to you about having everything as a a global formula where I could have different aspects of my life in harmony. Yeah. And I think one of the things from uh, I got the pleasure of dealing with it, people knew that I was uh, – ordained and they saw me i guess dealing with the human side and trying to coordinate that with the other and i was actually blessed that my one of my bigger bosses was actually uh an orthodox jewish person and so they got to see him practicing his religion and right. he was a phenomenal scientist but as I, as you were talking i was trying to think of is there a aspect of the science and then of the humanistic that people are sort of afraid to try and meld together because it's sort of difficult to bend that and asking yourself some of the very difficult questions that there are in life and is that part of the aspect of the fighting per se in between those two fields well i mean i think it's easy there are certain temptations that scientists uh are subject to you know, there's an old saying that to a man with a hammer, everything is a nail, a nail. right? Yep. And so you find that, say, people who are in certain fields tend to explain, like to explain things in certain ways. So if you're like, if you're an economist, you tend to give sort of economic ex explanations of everything. And if you're a political scientist, everything's explained by power and who has got power and, and so on. And psychologists will explain everything psychologically. And to, I think if you're in, say, physics or physical sciences, it's very tempting to explain everything that's going on in terms of just physical causes. And that's just a, like an occupational hazard of being in science. Uh, and it's, and, but every field has its occupational hazards. As I said, psychologists will explain everything psychologically, you know. Uh, if you say, you know, the sky is blue, they'll tell you, well, the, the, the reason you say that is because you have this deep-seated, you know, 
psychological reason need to say that. You know? But I mean, every field has, and, and I think there is, um, in science, there is a tendency to towards what I referred to earlier, materialism, because you're studying matter. That's in the physical sciences what you're doing. And so you tend to think it's easy to fall into the belief that everything is matter, you know, especially because matter is what we understand best. We really understand the physical world fantastically well now after 400 years. Uh, We understand the physical world much better than we understand anything else. And so it's easy to, that's why a lot of physicists and scientists sneer at every, all the humanists. They say, Oh, you guys don't understand. You know, you always you're still arguing. You philosophers never come to agree about anything. That's the reason for that is because philosophers and people like that, or people who study human beings, they're dealing with much more difficult questions. It's a lot harder. To a lot understand more variables. People. Yeah, it's a lot harder to understand what human being, uh, or understand moral questions, or understand anything involving human beings than it is to understand an electron which is just a dead piece of matter. So, I mean, yeah, we, I think physicists tend to get puffed up there. We understand things so much better than you. Yeah, because we're studying stuff, which in a way is a lot simpler. Uh, the rest of the world is concerned with very deep things that have to do with life and okay. with people. <laughs> After dealing with the, the agreement that my quantum mechanics professor and I had, I will just bow down and say, yes, sir. <laughs> we're, coming, we're coming to the end of our hour here on the Deacon's Roundtable, and I wanted to thank our guest, Dr. Stephen Barr, the president of the Catholic Society of Catholic Scientists, for joining us today. We just hit the tip of the iceberg of, on this aspect of the subject, so we, we thank you, Steve, for being with us. Uh, I love the website. I do think we do need some T-shirts on it because that's a great way to evangelize for it. But we have a conference coming up in Chicago, don't we? Uh, you, you said in 2000? In 2024, June of 2024. 2024. So yeah. uh, we definitely would, uh, hopefully, that uh, you have some extra time at, at that point, and uh, we'll come into the studio here since it's at Mundelein just down the road. We'd love to continue the conversation here because actually so I'm much coming to up about. to Mundelein in January 21st for a science faith kind of thing that is is happening at, then. Oh, so well, very I might cool. see you earlier. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll keep that in mind. And uh, and a- Angela's here saying, you know, let's talk to Stephen. See if we can get him here at WSFI. We'll do that off the air because we're here at our, our final final closing minutes here. We'd like to end in a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to the intercession of St. Albert, Bishop, Saint, and, and Patron of Scientists, we ask for your intercession to bless all of our scientists, and may they have the courage to speak up in their faith and, and have the courage to speak the truth of Jesus Christ as being our God, our Savior, and our Redeemer. We thank you, Steve. We thank you. We ask for blessings for your ministry of, of the Catholic Scientist Group, and we ask that everyone who needs a coat get something warm this winter as we're coming into the cold season here. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. 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 So, Dr. Uh, Dr. Barr, once again, thank you so much for joining us well, on the Deacon's Roundtable. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Taste and see the Lord is good. Drink from the cup of his forgiveness. Never mind where you have been before. So come to his table